Well, that, of course, was Home Alone, the first one, right? And my guess is, even if you haven't seen the movie, which if you haven't, come on, really? I mean, it's Home Alone. Uh, If you haven't seen it, you kind of get the premise that the kid wakes up and his parents are gone, and, and he thinks that it's because of him, right? Because he made a wish that they would disappear, and poof, they're gone. And so he realizes this, and it suddenly sets him on a new trajectory, right? His life has been interrupted, as it were, by the absence of his parents, and now he has to figure out what to do. And the joke of the movie is that in the midst of this, this eight-year-old kid realizes stuff about himself that he never knew. He becomes more capable than he ever thought possible, and even learns some things about appreciating his family in the end, because it's a family movie, so you have to do that, right? But, but it's all because he has to respond to this, this event, this loss of his family. Well, we are continuing a series that we started, our, our Advent slash Christmas series, that we're calling a Christmas playlist, where what we're doing is we're looking at some of the songs that we find in the scriptures, particularly in the Gospel of Luke, though last week we looked at an Old Testament prophecy. Uh, but this week we begin in the Gospel of Luke, and we're looking at a number of songs that we see of people singing in response to the birth of Jesus. And we're looking at those and saying, what, what can we learn about uh, who God is, what God was doing in Jesus, and even who we are, and what God wants to do in us as we look at these together. But before we get too far in there, I did want to actually interrupt my sermon to kind of give you a a brief announcement, uh, just to draw your attention to an opportunity that's coming up here uh, soon, but not too soon. So if you've been around here for, you know, the last couple of months, you've probably heard me at some point talk about a trip that I took with my son back in July to Jamaica. Uh, We went with another family here, the Davises, and uh, I know it's kind of harsh to put that up with uh, the weather we've been having the last 10 hours or so, but this was it. Um, So we took a trip down to Jamaica to work with an organization called ACE, American Caribbean Experience, and this is an organization that's been down there for decades serving uh, among the poor in the communities in Jamaica, trying to empower people both by helping them encounter Christ, but also helping them think about what it means to live life well and develop job skills and uh, really setting people up well to thrive. It's a great organization, and Keith Davis, who is, uh, you can see him in the picture, he's the guy next to me who's making me look even shorter than usual. Um, he, uh, he's been doing stuff, again, for years, taking teams down here, and he led our team. And Keith is going to be leading another team in 2018. He's going to be inviting other people to go down with him. My wife and my oldest daughter are actually going to be joining them. This was a, a really formative experience for my son and I as we went together. It, it, was, it was great in terms of uh, an opportunity for us to, to learn new things about ourselves and about others, and also to learn new things about God and what God is doing in us. So we just thought it was great. So we're excited for that opportunity, and we wanted to invite you. If that's something that you're interested in, Keith would love to have a conversation with you about how you could join him this coming year uh, in July. So Keith, if you want to stand up, Keith is over here, so you can see him, you wave. Um, Keith, at the end of our service, is just going to be hanging out up here. So if that's just something you're interested in, you'd like to hear more details on, I'd invite you to come up and talk to Keith. Uh, so whether you're a, you know, a parent of a teen who thinks that idea of going with your teen could be really cool, um, or maybe you're just a single or a couple and you just think you'd, you'd like to go for yourself and have this experience, it could be great for you. It's a really great opportunity. So again, see Keith right after the service. He'll be up here, and you can ask him for questions about that. Okay, now... 
back to the series. So this week, last week we talked about O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and that was kind of our, our thematic song that we used to, uh, to kind of frame where we were going for the morning. And this week the title is Mary, Did You Know? You may or may not be familiar with this song. It's more a contemporary Christmas carol. I, I think it was written in like 1991. Uh, but this, this carol centers on the figure of Mary, probably the key figure in the, the Jesus narratives that isn't Jesus himself. Mary and, and her response and her wrestling with this tremendous responsibility of being asked to bear the Christ child. Uh, if you're not familiar with the song, uh, the first verse goes like this. We'll have it up here on the screen so you can read along. It says, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? The child that you delivered will soon deliver you. So the song kind of asks these series of questions of Mary. Like, did you have any idea who your baby boy was going to be? And it's an interesting question, because as you'll see in a minute, it's a yes and no question. On the one hand, Mary gets early on this sense that this baby is not just any other kid, that this baby is in fact the one that God is going to work through to bring salvation to all people. But she doesn't have a clear sense of how that's going to work itself out of what exactly that's going to look like. Like most of her contemporaries, her expectations were that the Messiah, the, the coming savior for the people of Israel, would be some kind of noble king or warrior, not someone who would ultimately give his life as a ransom for many. And so it's, it's an interesting series of questions, and it's fascinating to think about what was going on in this young girl as she prepares to bear this baby. Well, when we begin in Luke's gospel, uh, which is where we're going to spend the rest of this series, is looking at portions of Luke's gospel, Luke has probably the most thorough handling of uh, Jesus' birth and the events kind of leading up to it and surrounding it. And when we enter into Luke's gospel, we get this really interesting, ominous introduction. He says, When Herod was king of Judea, when Herod was king of Judea. Now, that might just for us sound like an interesting historical note, right? That there was a guy named Herod who happened to be king. But it's actually probably more similar to a phrase, like if I were to say to you, you know, when Hitler was chancellor of Germany, or during the time of the Iron Curtain in the Soviet Union. On the one hand, that places you historically, you kind of get like, okay, we're talking about this period of time. But there's also a sense of kind of an ominous, like, oh, but we know, we know what happened then. We know what kinds of things that ruler did and the impact that had well beyond even that nation. And when Luke is saying, when Herod was king of Judea, he's trying to invoke that same sense of like, oh, it was then. That's the ruler he was talking about. In his commentary on the Gospel of Luke, Michael Card explains the setting in this way. He writes, Luke is not merely setting the date of 4 BC for us. Whenever a historical figure, especially someone like Herod, is mentioned, 
the writer intends that an emotion come along with it. When we read that it was in the days of King Herod, a chill should run down our spines. Quite simply, Herod was a monster. He came to power amid a bloodbath with the help of two Roman legions in 37 BC. He murdered both of his brothers-in-law and his beloved wife, Miriamne, as well as her, as her mother. Just before his own death, he ordered that prominent citizens in Israel be gathered together into the Hippodrome. The decree was that upon his death, they would be executed, so that there would be mourning in Israel. It's a pretty rough dude, right? This is not an easy time to be living in Israel. We just talked last week about how I mean, we're talking about centuries of waiting, of longing for someone to come and deliver them from oppressors, from foreign powers who had come in and had their way with them. And now, even as they're under the power of Rome, underneath Rome are people like King Herod, who's, who's a Jew himself, he's an Israelite, but he's kind of sold out to the Romans. And in, in exchange for power, he is taking advantage of his own people. And so you've got to imagine living in a time like this, there's got to be a lot of anxiety and fear about both the present but also the future. Like, what's the future going to be like? Where is all of this going? What's it going to be like for my kids or my grandkids or my great-grandkids? What do they have to look forward to? Anything? There's uncertainty, there's dread, there's fear. And in the midst of this, an angel appears to a young girl, probably in her mid-teens, who's been betrothed to a husband. She's just trying to kind of keep going on with life, right? And so even in the midst of this oppressive regime, she's getting married. And I'm sure there's excitement and maybe even a little anxiety over what all of that's going to be like. And in the midst of that, an angel shows up. And the angel tells her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. That's out of Luke chapter 1, 30 to 33. She gets this announcement from an angelic visitor that something remarkable is going to happen. I mean, she hasn't even gotten to experience the marriage part yet. And the angel's like, you're going to jump right to giving birth. And this is going to be the most amazing person the world has ever seen. So here in the midst of this external chaos, now all of her plans, all of her life, everything she could kind of control for herself gets interrupted. It, massively so. She immediately goes to see her cousin Elizabeth. And this is where we're going to pick up the story in Luke's gospel. Um, if you have a Bible, we're going to start reading at Luke chapter 1, verse 39. Uh, if you don't, there's going to be a, uh, the passages will be up on the screen so you can follow along with us. So this is immediately after the angel appears to Mary. We read, verse 39, A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. 
At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made his promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. So Mary, after getting this kind of world-shaking interruption, runs to her, her cousin Elizabeth. And as she does, she gets this confirmation that this thing that she experienced with the angel, this remarkable invitation, wasn't just some dream, but it was real. That this is really what is happening. That God has sought her out to do something remarkable, to do something never seen before, to bring about the salvation of all humankind through a baby that would be born of this young girl. Her life was interrupted in a big way. And what's crazy about this story, you see it as Mary begins to kind of sing her song, right? She says, For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. From the very beginning, we see God's upside-down way of bringing about salvation for all people. That God does not choose to do this through a, a princess, a queen, through nobility, that God does it through a lowly servant girl, some nondescript, obscure member of the community who has no power, no social status, as far as we know, no resources financially. She's just a poor teenager who's looking forward to getting married and trying to figure out life. And in the midst of that, God shows up and decides that it's through this ordinary, everyday person that he's going to change the world. And this isn't just some like clandestine way that God sneaks Jesus onto the scene, but this becomes, this is illustrative of the very nature of who Jesus is and what he's about. This upside down way of God bringing about salvation and transformation. That the last will be first, the greatest will be the servant of all. That God is constantly at work, even from the very beginning bringing about his plans and purposes in the most unsuspected ways, even through a servant girl who's willing to submit to this massive interruption in her life so that God can do what God is going to do, so that she can be a part of God's plan. And as you look throughout the scriptures, you find again and again, this is how God works. 
that God shows up and interrupts the lives of everyday normal people and invites them to be a part of something infinitely more significant than they could imagine. But they have to be willing to allow their lives to be interrupted. I was thinking about this um, this week when I read a, a story that you may or may not have been familiar with. It's gotten a lot of, of play in different venues about a guy named Darnell Barton. Darnell is a bus driver in New York City. And back in 2013, so this is a couple of years ago, uh, Darnell was driving his bus uh, across an overpass in the city, and he saw a woman standing on the other side of the guardrails. And now Darnell has a, a full bus, so you know he's on his way somewhere. This is his job, right? His job is to get from where he is to where he's going. And as he's driving, he, he notices, like, this woman's standing there, and, and people are passing her. Like, cars, of course, are passing her, but people on bikes, people walking, they're just kind of passing her as though she's just there, and it's normal. Well, Darnell chooses to stop the bus and to open the door and to holler out, hey, are you okay? She doesn't respond. And so he actually he leaves his post as the driver, full bus, and he goes out to her. Well, first, I'm sorry, he calls the police. Then he leaves his, his driving post, and he walks down, and he puts, a, puts her in a bear hug. And he says, would you like to come back over the guardrail? She agrees. Now, don't know if it was because she was scared of Darnell or because she was glad, you know, but whatever, for whatever reason, she, she agreed. And he helped her get over the guardrail, and he sat with her until the police came. And what strikes me about this story is that it's very, in a lot of ways, it's very unheroic, right? Like, Darnell didn't have to, like, swing from the top of a building through a burning flame and, you know, shoot a couple of people and do, like, a barrel roll and then rescue her and run out. Like, there's nothing about this that would make a compelling scene in an action movie. And yet it's one of the most heroic things ever, right? Because... Here's a guy in his everyday normal life who's done this probably a billion times. He's got, like, he's just in his rhythm. And you know how that goes. You get in your rhythm, you drive from point A to point B, you're on your commute to work, you're doing whatever you're doing, and you just don't notice things. But in this moment, for whatever reason, Darnell noticed. And not only did he notice, but he chose to stop and to do something. He allowed his life to be interrupted. And the result of that willingness to allow his life to be interrupted was a, a monumentally heroic act that saved someone's life. And I think this is a beautiful picture of the love that we see in Mary that we ultimately see expressed in Jesus. That this love that is willing to submit to interruption, to, to allowing your plan to be stalled or even changed for the sake of the opportunity that's in front of you. I mean, all through Jesus' life, this is a theme. He's on his way somewhere and someone else, someone like pops up who has leprosy or, or whose daughter is dying or, or whatever is happening. And Jesus regularly is open to respond to, to the change of plans, to the, the interruption, and to see that as part of what God is doing part of how God is working out his plans through Jesus is to be open to those interruptions, to those unexpected opportunities. 
And it's what he calls his followers to in Scripture, too. When you, when you read the stories of Jesus calling the disciples, it's not because they came to the disciple DMV and they're, like, waiting for their assignment as disciples, as students. They're, like, out doing stuff. They're, they're working as, as fishermen or as a tax collector. And Jesus comes up and he's like, you should stop doing that and follow me. And they do. The, the Apostle Paul, one of the early leaders of the church, it's kind of this, this historic or this, this very famous story where he's on the road to Damascus. His name is Saul, and he's, he's, about, he's trying to kind of round up people who are following Christ and bring them to prison. And in the midst of that, he's interrupted pretty dramatically as Christ appears to him and says, knock it off. This is how we regularly see God at work showing up and interrupting our plans so that we can see what God actually wants to do in us and through us in the world around us. But we have to be open to the interruption. We have to be sensitive to the fact that our plan may not be the plan, that where we're going may not ultimately be the place where we're most needed, where God most wants to use us, where God most wants to work in us and to change us. A couple of years ago, back in college, uh, Tracy and I had the opportunity to go on a trip to Trinidad, which is a, a little island off the coast of Venezuela. Again, I, I, I don't know if it's the snow that I keep talking about, like tropical islands this morning, but it makes me feel warm. So um, we were, I think, sophomores in college. We went on this, this trip in this, at this island nation, and it was a pretty formative trip, but it wasn't very formative because of how the trip was set up. The year, year before we went, we had uh, spent some time in Haiti. I think I've talked about that before. And Haiti was a, just a shocking place to be. This is before the earthquake, um, and it was still just completely um, jarring to be in Haiti, in Port-au-Prince, and to experience life there. No running water. Nothing, nothing that seemed familiar. I think the only thing I recognized in all of Port-au-Prince, the largest city in Haiti, was a Hertz rental. That was it. Nothing. So we had that experience first. This year we, we come into Trinidad, and the first thing we do is go to Pizza Hut. And I was like, this seems like I'm not here. Like, I could do this anywhere. And so there, there, was, there were things along the way that just felt very much more like we were kind of vacationing as students, uh, which, you know, I enjoyed being in Trinidad. It was kind of cool, but there was a little bit of like, ah, is this really, I mean, it's cool, but is it the best? And one of the things we were doing as we were there is we did a, a vacation Bible school with a local church. And there was a swimming pool at the place we were doing it. Uh, and I, I don't know, in, in retrospect, probably not the smartest thing as you're having all of these children come in from the neighborhood to just do it around the swimming pool. We weren't really using the swimming pool. I'm not sure what, but hey. And so while we're doing it, at one point, there was a, a young girl named Kati. She was eight years old. And she somehow ended up falling in the pool. Now, it, it wasn't dramatic. She didn't like almost die, but she just fell in the pool. And of course, she was really upset. So we like pulled her out. Uh, and in the midst of all the chaos, she somehow lost her shoes. So she was really upset. And her sister, Carice, came over and was kind of comforting her. And she was, Carice was 10, Kati was 8. And she's really upset because this is her only pair of shoes. And she lost them. And she has to walk home and tell her grandmother that she was careless and she lost her only pair of shoes. And so she's really upset. And so we're like, you know, you know what, let's, let's walk home with them and we'll explain. And so I took Kati and I put her on my shoulders and we walked her home. And we met her grandmother. Grandmother's name was Soila. 
And uh, we told her all about it, and Soyla was just, she, she, she just loved us. She hugged us all, and she welcomed us into her home. And her home was this tiny little one-room, like, hut that, not really a hut, I mean, it had a roof. It was, you know, it was like concrete, um, wooden, wooden roof, um, and then a wooden kind of rickety floor. So we came in, and we got to meet Soyla, and she just fawned over us. She loved us, and she invited us back the next day. Come back. Come see me. Come have tea. Let, and so we were like, cool. That's great. So we went back, told the guy who was leading this trip all about it, and the next day, a couple of, about six of us, went back to our house. And as we're there, Soyla's telling us all about her life and all the trouble she has, and we decide, let's pray for Soyla. So we take some time, and, you know, again, the six of us college students are praying for her, and we're sitting there, and as we're praying that God would help Soyla, her floor collapses underneath us. Now, it's only one story. This is not, you know, it just kind of buckles and falls. And we're like, oh my gosh. Like, we, we broke this woman's house. Like, we came to this place ostensibly to help, and we broke her house. This is not good. And so, you know, she was like, of course she's upset, but she's trying to play it, like, downplay and, like, you know, thanking us for being there and for praying for her. And we leave, and we just feel like, I mean, we're, we're like, what in the world are we even doing? This is ridiculous. And as we're walking back and we're kind of talking and trying to sort through what we do next, one person, I don't even know who it was, had the, they're like, wait a second. The guy who's organizing this trip here, isn't he a contractor? Like, shouldn't he know how to do that? We're like, oh my gosh, you're right. And so we went back and we're like, hey, contractor guy, how about we go and we, um, we fix Soilless floor. That would be cool. And he was like, you know what? We should, but tomorrow we're planning on taking you guys to the mall. <laughs> we're okay. Like, we really don't need to go to the mall. How about we not go to the mall and instead, because we have malls. We have malls, and they're cool. How about instead we go and we fix her floor? And he was like, Okay. Yeah, okay. I guess we could do that. So we did. So we scrapped the mall thing, and maybe it was a cool mall. I don't even know why that was on the agenda. But we scrapped the mall thing, and we spent the next day building a floor in this woman's home. And so what looked like it was going to be this incredible interruption to all of our plans, including Soyla's, ended up being this incredible opportunity to actually feel like we had done something meaningful for someone. And hopefully even raise some awareness among someone who was part of the community of some of the needs that existed in people who lived there. This was not what we planned. This is not how we would have, would have planned to do it by first going in and breaking her floor. But it was the opportunity that was presented to us. And we had to be open to having our plans interrupted in order to see what opportunity existed, in order to see the invitation that was in front of us. And this is how God tends to act. He offers us invitations in the form of interruptions. Invitations to recognize that our plans aren't maybe the plans that we ought to have. Maybe our direction that we're heading is misdirected, misguided. Maybe we don't actually know what we ought to be doing and where we ought to be going at any given time. Maybe we need to be open to God's interruptions. 
And I know this is hard. This is hard particularly for this season because there's a lot of planning involved. A lot of you are doing a lot of planning, right? You're planning to um, make dinner for your families. You're planning to host your family. You're planning on how to make a good excuse so you don't have to go to your family's house for a particular party or meal. Um, Whatever it is, there's a lot to do. And so it's essential that we be looking at our calendars and planning it out so that we can make it through this season and pretend to enjoy it, right? Like this is... This is critical because there's so much happening. And in the midst of that, it's really, really easy to just get into, like, kind of get into a rhythm and just go through life and not be open to opportunities, to invitations that come in the form of interruptions. Interruptions can all be seen as just nuisances, things we have to push through, things we have to ignore, ways we need to, to kind of double down on our plans. But maybe, maybe they're not. Maybe they actually are invitations to something better. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, The great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own or real life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life. The life God is sending one day by day. That's a fact. Have you ever thought about that? That perhaps the interruptions that come are not the things to be squelched or, or kind of pushed through, but are things we need to be attentive to? Are potentially invitations from God to realign, reorient ourselves to what maybe we ought to be doing? So this Christmas season... I wonder what invitations God is sending your way in the form of interruptions. How might God be offering you invitations to join him in what beautiful thing he's doing? If only we're able to be open to his invitations, again, in the form of interruptions. And if we're going to do this, I think we get some, there's two things that we need to be thoughtful about, we need to to kind of reflect on and to choose into. And the first is, we need to have eyes to see. Jesus uses this phrase uh, when he's teaching. He talks about having eyes to see. That there's a way of seeing that isn't just kind of intuitive, right? That we don't all see the same way. That there's a way in which we need to readjust our vision to look differently. We see this in Mary, right, in in her song, where she has options of how she can receive this. She can receive it as this incredible burden that God has placed on her that will undoubtedly make her life harder. And you get this as you read through the Gospels. This does not make Mary's life easier, not by a long shot. Not by a long shot. This is a difficult call. This is a difficult invitation. In fact, later we we see one of the, the early prophets that Jesus kind of, or that Mary runs into in the temple says, he describes it as, in this way, he says, a sword will pierce your heart in what it's going to be like to be the mother of Jesus, the one who ultimately is betrayed and tortured and killed publicly. This does not, 
this is not an easy road for Mary. Not by a long shot. But she has eyes to see that God is inviting her to be a part of something far greater than her small plans. And so she chooses to say yes to God's interruption. We read in his song, or in her song, I'm sorry, she says this, He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. Rather than seeing this as a burden on her, Mary chooses to see this as God's mercy to the world. She's a part of God's bigger plan to show mercy. And so she chooses to say yes to this massive interruption. So I wonder what opportunities are going to come your way and my way this season. That if we're thoughtful about how God might want to be inviting us into being instruments of mercy, how we might see them differently. So that's the first one. And then the second one is, we need to learn to let go of control. I think one of the biggest barriers to our happiness as people, to our feeling fulfilled, is our desire to feel as though we have life under control. To feel like we have a neatly managed and manicured life and existence. And that we know where it's going and we know how to get there. And if we just do all the right things, then all the right things will happen. But what we tend to find is that that's, that's not how life works. That You know the saying, right? The best laid plans of mice and men. You can have the best plan and the best formula of implementing that plan. But sometimes, sometimes interruptions come. And when they do, we can receive them as invitations, opportunities to be channels of God's mercy, or we can see them as frustrating barriers to us getting what we want. Now, obviously, that's a simplification of some things that might be really complex, but by and large, what's remarkable is when you meet someone who's had a major shift in their life experience, like they are someplace completely different than where they thought they would be, so much of that, if they're a healthy person who's living a meaningful life, is about how they chose to respond to the inevitable interruptions that came into their lives. Whether or not they had eyes to see how God might be at work in those situations and how they might be open to what God was doing. We need to learn to let go of control like Mary. We didn't read this verse, but in Luke chapter 138, we'll throw it up here. After the angel appears to Mary and says, hey, this is what God is doing, Mary's response is, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Mary chooses to trust God with this incredibly huge life interruption, to let go of control over her life, where she thought it was heading, her plans to be kind of in this very traditional nice marriage with this boy Joseph and to instead take on this incredibly 
significant and weighty and challenging invitation to be the mother of the one who would rescue the entire world. The interruptions that come our way this season are really invitations for us to open our eyes and see how God might be inviting us to be channels of mercy in the lives of those around us, in the world at large. If we have eyes to see, and if we're willing to relinquish control. Well, Father, um, I am grateful for the fact that you love us so much that you choose to, to send interruptions our way. That you desire to regularly invite us outside of our too small vision for our lives and into something bigger. I thank you for Mary's model of courage and of willingness to allow her life to be interrupted and to take really difficult steps towards being a part of the bigger thing that you're doing. Would you help us to be inspired and encouraged by her model? And would you help us to increasingly have eyes to see where you might be inviting us to respond to the interruptions that come our way? And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.